So uh, first I would like to uh, thank Matthew and the Bioethics Center for hosting me and inviting me to give this talk. So the title of the talk is uh, In Defense of Empathy. Uh, there has been a recent interest in empathy and its connection with morality. I will explore uh, the connection in this talk. Uh, the questions that will guide the talk are, does empathy play a necessary role in morality? And if so, what role does it play? So we can distinguish uh, two views in moral psychology, the pro-empathy view and the anti-empathy view. The pro-empathy view holds that empathy plays an essential role in morality. This is a widespread view in moral psychology. A number of moral psychologists and philosophers support the view. Recently, some philosophers have challenged this trend and have been defending an anti-empathy view. The anti-empathy anti view uh, holds that empathy plays no essential role in morality. And there are lots of philosophers and psychologists that will hold this view. Uh, in Against Empathy uh, and other articles, Jesse Prince uh, has articulated a robust critique of the positive view. I will concentrate my analysis on Prince's uh, anti-empathy view. Prince has two major claims. Empathy is not necessary for moral judgment. Empathy should be avoided as a guide to morality. Um, my uh, pro-empathy view, the view I will argue for, so I will first respond to Prince and argue for a pro-empathy view. Uh, I will argue that empathy plays a necessary role in moral development. And I will argue that there is a moral benefit associated with empathic feelings. Uh, so Prince defends a sentimentalist account for morality he shares uh, the human intuition that emotions are essential for moral judgment and that moral judgments involve approval and disapproval. Hume's sentimentalist accounts accept what Prince calls uh, the preconditioned thesis. Uh, the preconditioned thesis is the thesis that empathy is a precondition for morality. Although Prince's, uh, Prince endorses Hume's sentimentalism, he rejects his preconditioned thesis. Prince distinguishes six versions of the preconditioned thesis and rejects uh, them all. So those are the uh, six preconditions uh, he distinguished. Uh, uh, a constitutive precondition, empathy is necessary for moral judgment, a causal precondition, empathy is necessary for causing moral judgment. Uh, epistemic uh, precondition, empathy plays a necessary epistemic role. A motivation uh, precondition, empathy is necessary for moral motivation. A developmental precondition, empathy is necessary for moral development. And a normative precondition, empathy is necessary for justified moral judgment. 
How you respond to Prince's argument against uh, the developmental preconditioned thesis? Empathy is not uh, is necessary for moral development, and uh, the normative uh, preconditioned thesis: empathy is uh, necessary for justified moral judgment. So here is the outline of the talk. I will first uh, concentrate in this. Uh, discuss this idea is empathy a developmental precondition for morality uh, I will uh, discuss this idea uh, discussing three arguments first the argument from authors then the argument uh, from psychopaths uh, then I will uh, discuss theories of moral development I will present Prince's imitation based account of moral development and I will uh, present an alternative account, my empathy-based account of moral development. Uh, in the second part of, of the talk, I will discuss uh, if empathy is a normative precondition uh, for morality. And I will uh, make some remarks on the benefit of empathy. Um, so first, is empathy necessary for moral development? So Prince's argument uh, against the developmental preconditioned thesis might be reconstructed like this. Uh, the first premise, moral judgments are sentiments of appropriation and disapprobation. Second premise, empathy is not developmentally necessary for sentiments of appropriation and disapprobation. Uh, conclusion, empathy is not developmentally uh, necessary for moral judgment. Uh, the first premise uh, is Hume's sentimentalism, uh, which Prince shares, and I won't discuss, I will assume, assume a, sentimentalism, a sentimentalist approach here also. The second premise uh, is Prince's uh, model thesis, which he supports by psychological research. What I will try to do, I will try to mitigate uh, this second premise, arguing that there are aspects of human morality for which empathic emotions plays an essential role, an essential developmental role. Uh, and I will reject the conclusion that empathy is not developmentally necessary for moral judgment, at least when this claim is restricted uh, to human beings. So first, let's just see the, uh, what is the scope of this preconditioned thesis. So uh, I will claim that the preconditioned thesis uh, can be understood as a claim about all moral systems, or a claim about human beings. Uh, I accept that uh, there are possible moral agents that have moral judgment without empathy uh, in a hypothetical primitive system governed by premoral values. Agents might uh, use gut feelings, some automatic uh, reactions, rather than empathy to moralize. Uh, for instance, they might use disgust or anger reactions as guides to moral action. However, this hypothetical possibility does not undermine the claim that in human systems, 
empathy is developmentally necessary for morality. So I accept that not that not that even in humans, not every moral judgment involves empathy. Moral judgments can be a result, result of a gut feelings. But in my view, for human agents to develop the capacity for moral judgments in the first place, they must be capable of empathy and affective perspective taking. Uh, human moral agency depends on being able to arrive at moral attitudes as a result of a process of empathic simulation and affective perspective taking. So let's see now the Prince's cases against the developmental precondition thesis. So first, Prince rebuts the pro-empathy argument from autism and psychopath that I will show uh, uh, in the next slide. And then he gives an anti-empathic account of moral learning in terms of imitation. So what are the arguments, the, uh, the pro-empathy argument from autism and psychopath? So for supremacy, psychopaths and autistic people are devoid of empathic abilities. Uh, both shows deficiencies in moral competence. Uh, their deficiencies in moral competence are explained by the lack of empathy. Conclusion, empathy is a precondition for moral competence. So uh, Prince uh, challenges uh, this argument First, in the first, let's see the case of psychopathy. So, in the case of psychopathy, he denies the third claim, P five, that is, uh, their deficiencies in moral competence are explained by the lack of empathy. Uh, he argues that there is a bare explanation of psychopaths' lack of moral competence. Psychopaths have an, uh, an emotion deficit that explains the lack of moral competence. It is the lack of negative emotions, such as fear and sadness, and not the lack of empathy that explains the impairment in moral reasoning detected in psychopaths. Negative emotions are involved in recognition in response to the sadness of others, and this is a basic element that can be used to create more emotions, such as shame and guilt. So psychopaths, uh, just finish here, psychopaths are bad in, so for princes, prince, psychopaths are bad moralizers because they cannot learn the appropriate emotional reaction to their conduct in, this, in the context of their, uh, the victim's uh, distress. So my response uh, to prince is prince's explanation of the psychopath's moral deficit does not undermine the developmental precondition thesis. Psycholog psychological evidence suggests that psychopaths' affective deficiency produce a deficiency in emotional empathy, which produces a moral deficiency. So if it's so, uh, I think that the connection between emotion and moral development is itself mediated by empathy. 
Prince's observation about the role of affect in moral competence do not undermine in this view. What Prince's interpretation shows is that feelings of fear and sadness are important emotions for moral development. So people who are uh, capable of feeling those emotions will be unable to share those emotions and conse consequently will show impairment in their emotional empathic system. So impairment in emotion uh, recognition is associated with uh, some sort of dysfunctional emotional empathy. So this argument doesn't, uh, leads to the conclusion he wants to, to affirm. So now a prince's uh, rebuttal uh, for uh, arguments uh, from autism. So in the case of autism, prince rejects the second uh, premise that which uh, says the autistic people have deficiencies in moral competence. Autistic people seems seem to acquire an understanding of moral rules despite their lack of empathy. In autism, uh, the deficit of empathy does not inevitably lead to a deficit of morality. Uh, this is also argued by uh, other philosophers. So this moral competence without empathy suggests uh, that perspective taking account of morality uh, are probably wrong. The moral competence without empathy suggests that uh, we need another account of morality to explain uh, the data. So Prince concludes that empathy is not necessary for moral development. So now what is the pro-empathy view uh, uh, can uh, reply to Prince? So the pro-empathy response to Prince's uh, rebuttal. So we can distinguish emotional empathy from cognitive empathy. Autistic people have impaired cognitive empathy but have intact emotional empathy. They are capable of displaying empathy toward the distress of others. And the presence of emotional uh, empathy may explain why autistic people show uh, more competence or a sort of upper, apparently more competence. So the impairment uh, of cognitive empathy, uh, sort of deficit in mentalized process, may explain their moral uh, limitations. So in the case of autism, uh, and here's an argument from uh, Vignemont and Frith, uh, the anti-empathy conclusion uh, <coughs> So, sorry, so this is an argument that, uh, so Viamon and Thrifts, they also challenge uh, this uh, Prince conclusion. So they suggest that uh, the presence of the emotional component in people with autism may explain why they show intact and moral competence. Autistic people are able uh, to detect transgression of normative roles and to detect the stress in others. But they have an impaired ability to connect the two. They do not seem capable of detecting moral violations uh, 
the detection of moral violation requires uh, the capacity of correlating two facts, uh, a moral transgression and someone suffering without moral justification. So people with autism fail to correlate these two uh, facts. Uh, their conclusion, the Vignemont uh, and Friff, is that the rules followed by autistic people may be merely perceived by them to be conventional rules. So we can speculate that autistic people make judgments about moral violations by applying conventional rules. This possibility is not ruled out by uh, the empirical data uh, that support Prince's argument. So now, uh, so after uh, uh, refuse the pro-empathy arguments from autism and, um, and psychopaths, Prince tried to reformulate uh, uh, an account of moral development based in imitation because he, as his, uh, he uh, removed empathy as a base of moral development he has to give another psychological capacity that can give us uh, the same uh, ability that empathy might give. So let's see uh, how he formulates his uh, imitation-based account. So Prince, I will just go very briefly because it doesn't matter really the details of the, his account, more uh, the way uh, uh, the, the way imitation, uh, the place that imitation, uh, the role that imitation uh, has in his accounts is more important. So Prince gives a four-stage account in terms of learning by imitation. Infants experience others' emotion via facial mimicry and emotional contagion. Toddlers engage in prosocial behavior and early consolation. Children became, uh, become responsive to moral rules. Children begin to engage in reparative behavior and moral condemnation. Children distinguish different classes of norms through obtaining more emotions. So he thinks that all uh, those stages doesn't, uh, do not involve uh, empathy. These forms of moral learn uh, do not require empathy, just uh, imitation. So if this account is right, acquisition of moral competence does not depend on empathy, just depend on imitation and uh, uh, emotional contagion. So I, I will now outline a positive account of moral development grounded in empathy and imaginative perspective taking. Sorry, just uh, first, before I uh, present my account, I just show some problems of uh, the prince's developmental story, sorry. So uh, moral competence, uh, in my view, requires understanding and identifying mental status in others. Uh, imitation and contagion, uh, emotional contagion, are just a foothold uh, for this. 
for states such as pur purposive actions, desires, visual perception, and basic emotions, there is a close coupling between the underlying mental states and their expression in body action. So we can perhaps infer those states through perception and uh, imitation. But further capacities are needed for uh, understanding and identifying other uh, types of mental states. So Prince's uh, imitation-based account might explain the internalization of basic emotions uh, and the identification of some others' uh, mental states via imitation. But it cannot explain the understand and identification of other mental states which are not overtly expressed in others' actions. More emotions require the ability to understand and identify these mental uh, states via simulation and imagination, and I will argue that um, this ability requires empathy. So now the, uh, I will uh, present the my positive account of moral development grounded in empathy and imaginative perspective taking. So first, uh, I just want to present a, uh, some distinction that I think is useful for this discussion. Uh, usually, uh, the, the, the concept of empathy is distinguished between cognitive empathy and uh, emotional empathy. I will present a different distinction that I think uh, will help to understand more my, my proposal. So perceptual empathy and imaginative empathy, perceptual uh, empathy is uh, empathy as a response to a direct perception of others' emotions. Imaginative empathy is empathy as a response to imaginative or projective simulation of others' uh, emotions. And both... Uh, I think both uh, empathies are involved in moral competence. So moral competence, what I think about, uh, what I think is moral competence. So moral competence requires understanding and identifying mental orders, uh, mental status in others, internalization of others' feelings and simulation of others' perspective is crucial for understanding and identify others' mental states. This internalization uh, takes place through both perceptual uh, empathy and imaginative empathy. Moral agency depends on being able to arrive at moral attitudes as a result of a process of empathic simulation and affective perspective taking. So how can we, uh, as I'm affirm that moral competence require identify mental states in others? What is involved in uh, this ability? So the ability to understand and respond to others' emotional states appears in the beginning of infants' development. They develop abilities to understand the type of emotion experienced by others 
the situation that is causing the emotion experienced by others and the motivation of factors triggered by uh, the emotion, the specific emotion that was uh, identified. And I will just show what I think is the uh, role of perceptual empathy and imaginative empathy in this, in the identification of others' emotional states. So perceptual empathy, the first level, uh, uh, relies on process that direct connection, perception, and action, such as imitation and um, emotional uh, contagion. So in your limitation and emotional contagion, there is a direct correspondence between proprioceptive perception of our body and facial expression of others that allows us to identify the type of emotion experienced by others. With the emergency of empathic process, infants have perceptual access to other uh, people's emotional states through their facial expressions without necessarily forming a motor representation through proprioception. Uh, in the second level uh, of perceptual empathy that I distinguish, <coughs> uh, this perceptual, uh, the second uh, perceptual level relies on process of joint attention, social refer references, and intention communication. This process allow the subject to identify the type of the emotion and to understand the intentional object associated to the observed emotion in a given situation and its motivational uh, aspects. So the subject has a perceptual cues that allow direct access to others' mental states and allows to identify the situation that's causing others' uh, emotions. Uh, the third level where we'll uh, distinguish is it uh, involves imaginative empathy. So imaginative empathy relies on process of simulation uh, and uh, imaginative capacities. So those processes are fundamental mechanisms that to allow the subject to understand more emotions and to infer its motivation or contention. So imaginative empathy plays a role in understanding affective reactions and allows us to internalize those emotional reactions as we imagine or simulate uh, others. Um, so if perceptual empathy uh, can uh, read, uh, allows the the child to, as I said before, to have direct access to others' mental states and allows to identify the situation that's causing others' emotions and the motivation aspects, why you need the imaginative uh, empathy, the, the third level. So I, I'll, <coughs> I will now show how those uh, capacities can uh, work in different contexts. So one context I'm calling overt contexts. So uh, we can overtly perceive perceptual cues that indicate others' affective state, early states of empathy, involve basic emotions, which are characterized by universal facial expressions, 
that the subject can have direct perception and transparent access. So the first two level works very well when you have direct uh, perception and transparent access. But I will claim that uh, this two level doesn't work well in what I call convert context. So in covert context, emotions are not overtly expressed and the motivation aspects may differ from ours uh, own motivations uh, in similar contexts. In the absence of perceptible cues and transparent access, we must rely on imaginative empathy. So we can experience feelings of shame, guilt, regret, admiration, or outrage in certain circumstances because we can place ourselves in the shoes of those affected by uh, the action and share their reactive attitudes. So for those emotions, shame, guilt, regret, admiration, or outrage, as you can, uh, you, we can't distinguish with facial expressions or, and uh, I, I will call those contacts, covert contacts, and we, we, we use imaginative empathy in those contexts. So just uh, so there are also, there are two roles of empathy that I'm uh, suggesting here. In the case of overtly overtly expressed uh, mental states, empathy enables us to infer other mental states in a faster and more accurate way than imitation. And in the case of mental states that are not overtly expressed, empathy uh, provides a mechanism for understand and inferring uh, these states where imitation uh, does not. Um, so, so now the second part of the talk that is uh, the discussion about the normative precondition uh, thesis. So is empathy necessary for justified uh, moral uh, judgment? Um, should empathy play a normative role in morality? Uh, should we cultivate empathy in morality? So this is the two questions that will guide uh, the second part. So I will argue for a weak version of the normative preconditioned thesis. In some circumstances, uh, empathy is necessary for uh, justified uh, moral uh, judgment, and I will try to show what are th those circumstances. So what is uh, Prince's argument against uh, the normative uh, precondition um, thesis? So we can uh, reconstruct his uh, Prince's uh, argument like this. Uh, first premise, empathy produces uh, bias in moral judgments and interferes negatively with morality. If empathy produces bias in moral, moral judgments uh, and interferes negatively with morality, then it should be avoided as a guide for morality. Uh, conclusion, empathy should be avoided as a guide for morality. I will argue against uh, this uh, prescriptive conclusion by rejecting uh, the second premise. If empathy produces biases, 
in moral judgments and interferes negatively with morality, then it should be avoided as a guide for morality. So I will acknowledge that empathy produces uh, biases in moral judgments and how we can do, uh, deal with these biases. So uh, this is the way uh, Princess um, support his uh, uh, pres prescriptive argument. So empathy may lead to uh, inaccuracies, immoral judgment. Empathy can lack motivational force in driving prosocial behavior. Empathy is vulnerable to bias and tends to be highly selective. Empathy can potentially dangerous uh, can be potentially dangerous, leading to preferential uh, treatment and crimes of uh, omission. This uh, those uh, negative bias usually uh, the the most uh, salient ones are the familiarity and the here now bias, so the like me uh, bias and the uh, parochialism bias, that is the in-group bias. So we empathize more uh, uh, with individu individuals who are salient, currently perceived, spatially closer to us, or bear a resemblance uh, to us. So, uh, so Princes uh, will offer, uh, as he's saying that we should not cultivate empathy, he's offered another uh, alternative. And one of, he, he uh, goes back and forth with, uh, uh, which would be the candidate to replace uh, empathy, and one of his, of his one of, in one of his papers, he suggests this outrage-based uh, account, uh, this outrage-based morality. So he suggests that you should cultivate an outrage-based morality. Outrage has more motivational power, and it's less susceptible to bias. So it could replace empathy for uh, this sort of uh, reactive attitude. So I think there is two implicit uh, ideas in Prince's arguments in this, uh, in, the, in the, his prospect, uh, prescriptive argument. One of them is if empathy is sometimes a bad guide to moral judgment, then empathy should be avoided entirely. So this is one of the implicit ideas. The second implicit idea I think it's the idea that morality is based on a sort of single kind of emotion. So if, if empathy is avoided, it should be replaced by another single uh, emotion. And one of the candidates are the outrage reaction. So one way to uh, reply to this, uh, to the uh, outrage-based morality uh, say that empathy has more, I will hold that empathy has more motivational power, even if uh, outrage can have more, but empathy still has motivational power, and in some circumstances that I will uh, 
mentioned in the end of the talk, it is our best guide for morality. I agree that empathic emotions can distort our perception and are prone to self-perspective distortions, but this is true for other emotions too, include outrage. Uh, emotions can distort our perception and generate incorrect moral judgments. We must not rely heavily on our affective reactions as the only source of moral attitudes. A way to respond to the uh, bias, uh, the bias objection, is to show that we can enhance, uh, enhance empathy. So you can improve reliability and accuracy in empathy. Empathy might be improved by combining it with additional epistemic tools and helpful devices. Uh, even if empathy is not an ideal mental state detector, uh, it is psychologically the most primitive and pervasive method for identifying mental state in others and to transcend parochialism of self-affective uh, perspective. Uh, also, empathy can be, uh, can be enhanced by helpful device to generate a more accurate representations of others. So, uh, I would like to uh, end this, this discussion about the perspective argument, just showing uh, what, should, uh, what should, be, should be the context uh, where uh, empathy uh, might be a good guide for morality. So who needs empathy? Empathy is beneficial in contexts where uh, we can't rely exclusively on perceptual cues to decide what is more right or wrong. For instance, healthcare for babies, animals, vegetative state patients, we should exercise empathy with people who are not able to express their desires uh, and concerns. These require a thought of imaginative effort to imagine what it's like to be the other person. And empathy uh, is essential to avoid uh, these first-person distortions of taking our own perspective and the application of rigid rules that can lead to errors. So I will end with some concluding remarks. Empathy is, is a crucial element in morality, and in some specific circumstances, uh, it is the best guide for morality. To think morally, we need to understand others' affective mental states. For this, we need to transcend our egocentric, affective perspective, and to correct the limitations and distortions of self-perspective. We can do this by empathically sharing affective states and thereby understanding the reactions of those affected by our actions. Okay, thanks.